It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 98, The Tabernacle of David David was way beyond his time. With his understanding of mercy, grace, worship, and relationship, it was as if he tasted and saw something that was for another age, and he seized it into his time period, and all of those around him were able to step into his breakthrough. He truly was 1,000 years ahead of his time with his understanding of God's grace and relationship with his people. What he does with the scary and terrifying Ark of the Covenant will be one of the most non-religious acts in the Old Testament. Despite the death of Uzzah, he refused to allow this to stop him from what he understood of God and sharing him with his people. Personally, this is my opinion, I have to declare his actions with the Ark and his tabernacle in this episode are his greatest achievement and truest and highest spiritual moment of his life they will be alluded to far beyond this generation and into the time of the new covenant. Amos 9.11 In that day I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. Acts 15.13 James spoke up, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. While David was king in Jerusalem, he set up what became known as the Tabernacle of David. If you were strictly reading from the book of Samuel, you would miss this. Its brief mentions are spread throughout the Bible, but there have been many in our generation that have dug out its meaning. In this episode, I hope to explain David's tabernacle and its importance to the, his time and to the new covenant and to this generation and possibly David's greatest spiritual moment and decision. John 4:21 Woman Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in the truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in the truth. As David brings the ark to Jerusalem, he brings it to a giant tent that he has placed for it. 
David purposely doesn't place the ark in the tabernacle at Gibeah. It seems a bit strange David doesn't move the ark to the tabernacle, but then again it really doesn't the more you think about it. David was no Levite, and he did things different. He encountered God as a youth and knew him personally. Just read the Psalms. David knew God, and he wasn't considered one of the prophets in his day, and he wasn't a priest, but he knew God. David knew God so well he was called a man after God's own heart. All right, think with me here. If you were a professional athlete, say it was baseball, and you loved baseball, and you suddenly became the king of England. All right, make it cricket then. And you became the king of England. You would do whatever you would do to improve, enhance, and promote the sport of cricket in England. This would be natural. What if your passion was education, and you were a teacher, and you became the president of the United States? You would do everything in your power to enhance, promote, and improve education in your country and other countries as well. What if you were a general? All right, take General Eisenhower, who ended up president of the United States. One of his initiatives was to create the United States Highway Department and to connect the nation via highways. Why? One of the reasons was to increase the ability of the United States to transport military equipment in a time of war. What if you're a worshiper or musician and you found yourself in charge of a kingdom? What would you do? You take as much national resources as possible and improve, enhance, and train others to worship and improve their musical skills. Nearly every school would have huge grants for music classes and worship, and churches would be blessed for crowds would flock to understand what their king was all about. David was a warrior and poet-musician. His poetic and musical gifts were honed over years and years in the wilderness and worship to God. His military training began when he was a boy with the lion and the bear. Now that David is king, he has the resources of an entire kingdom to devote to his causes. David trains his men into warriors and worshipers. He pays his soldiers and mercenaries great amounts of money, and he trains them in the arts of war. He has full-time paid worshipers assigned to worship before the Lord. And in what becomes known as the Tabernacle of David, David places the ark at the end of a tent in the back part of what we consider an altar at a church. He takes worshipers and assigns them to worship day and night before the Lord. And if you need a picture of this, it's like a large room, or better yet, huge tent, the size of a very large prayer room. And I picture the ark is still visible, but cordoned off somehow. Heaven forbid anyone touch it. Then maybe in an hour or by hourly rotation, a group of worshipers assembled and worshiped before the presence of God. And I pictured most of the rest of the area under the tent was open to the public to come and pray and worship God as they are led to. 1 Chronicles 16.4 David appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to extol, thank, and praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, and next to him in rank were Zechariah, Jehazahel, Shimaroth, Jehel, Mithilah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obadiah, and Jael. They were to play the lyres and harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and Benaiah and Jezehel, the priest, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. So Asaph was left in charge of the first true public prayer room in all of human history. Asaph had nine leaders under him, which includes Obadiah, the blessed Levite who previously housed the Ark. First Chronicles 16.37 
David left Asaph and his associates before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister there regularly, according to each day's requirements. He also left Obadiah and his sixty-eight associates to minister with them. Obadiah, son of Jeduthun, and also Hosea, were gatekeepers. All right, check it out. It says Asaph was to minister regularly and daily, and another interpretation was continually. Obadiah had 68 associates under him, which could imply there was a similar number under the other leaders. Obadiah and Hosea were also the lead ushers or gatekeepers. Anyone trying to worship a different god wasn't allowed by these two Levite bouncers. 1 Chronicles 16.39 David left Zadok the priest and his fellow priests before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place in Gibeon to present burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly, morning and evening, in accordance with everything written in the law of the Lord, which he had given Israel. With them were Haman and Jeduthun and the rest of those chosen and designated by the name to give thanks to God, for his love endures forever. Haman and Jeduthun were responsible for the sounding of the trumpets and cymbals and for the playing of their instruments for sacred song. The sons of Jeduthun were stationed at the gate. So it's interesting, David didn't neglect the sacrifices at Gibeah, he just continued them. But his heart was with his tent and the ark and the worship to his God. It's kind of like, hey people, I'm a worshiper, and you're welcome, and in fact, I promote it. But hey, if you want to go about it the old way, you can still go to Gibeah and give a sacrifice. Or you can just give God the sacrifice of praise in this tent right here in Jerusalem. Also have a tinge of belief that David still held a little concern that he shouldn't depart too far from the old ways after the Uzzah episode, just in case. So he continues the sacrifices at Gibeah. Here's an interesting question to ask yourself. Where do you worship? Do you worship in relationship in Jerusalem? Or do you worship religiously in Gibeah? So this is where I have to park and give a personal opinion. What David has done is remarkable. And we'll talk more about it. He has moved the ark to Jerusalem and pitched a tent and invited all of Israel to worship with him. What a high point for David. It's this scene and the invitation to the rest of Israel and the opening up of the presence of God that reveals so much to the people that they can't help but follow God. What was once only allowed to a certain few is now offered to all. Doesn't this smell of the new covenant? This is what puts David in the same level of biblical greats like Abraham, Moses, and Joshua. David passed a ridiculous amount of tests, and he even answered bonus questions that were never asked of him. He can be considered a friend of God like Moses, but his covenant and an understanding of relationship exceeded Moses' understanding. And David will go on to fulfill Joshua's promises of conquering and occupying the entirety of Israel. Could it be this was David's greatest act, even over his battle with Goliath? It's the opening up of God's presence to a nation that speaks more than any evangelism or warfare could have done. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's talk about the many current applications of the Tabernacle of David today. There's a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in what is called the prayer movement. 
Just Google prayer movement or prayer room and check out all the links. It's incredible. Most of them point to this moment where David established what has come to be known as harp and bowl worship with worship sets, which encourage those in attendance to worship and pray. It's really quite different than our normal Sunday morning church service. There's no message. There's no head pastor. It's just worship and prayer to God. The focus is no one man. The focus is God alone. There's a really good model today for comparative sake, and its story is quite incredible, for their entire main purpose is to reestablish or recreate a form of the tabernacle of David. This model is called the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, also called IHOP. We've been there a good number of times, and it's just a huge prayer room, but it's been going nonstop for 12 years. A fire hasn't stopped burning of worship and prayer to God of 24 hours a day, 7 days a week for over 12 years. What impresses me about the prayer room model is the humility of it all. In most cases, it's very difficult to find the senior pastor or executive team. Why is this? Because it's not about them. It's about God and His worship. There's... Other prayer rooms all over the world, and honestly, it's been around for the ages, but there's a fresh Holy Spirit breeze on this type of ministry setting. In our town here, there's a local prayer house called Joppa House. It's pretty incredible because it's an excellent neutral place for pastors to come and worship together and to collectively work together. They have a Friday night worship service, and many people come, not as their home church, but to come and enjoy an extra Friday night service to experience something different. They have worship leaders from seven different churches, and they hold special events. Isn't that what Jesus said? My house shall be a house of prayer. The prayer movement and houses of prayer movement finds its roots in this moment with David and his tabernacle. So if you want to learn more about this movement, just give it a Google and see what comes up. There's plenty of articles as well on the history of the prayer movement. It's honestly such a huge topic. I have to leave it here. So besides its relevance today, there's something that is just absolutely profound about the tabernacle of David. In the tabernacle, there's no reference to dividing the tent into the Holy of Holies or inner court or outer court. The only references we have is that the ark was placed in the large tent and that there was worshipers in the tent and the Levites were assigned to worship before the Lord. But it appears that David left it open. So check it out. I'm trying to paint a picture here as to how it could have gone down and what I believe is David's greatest decision of his life. David dances the ark into Jerusalem, and Asaph is there as the ark is placed in the back of the tent. David is there next to Nathan, and he tells him that his desire is to build a temple. And Nathan tells David to do as he pleases, and Nathan walks off, pondering what he just said. Then Asaph walks up and says to David, We have the ark. And the tent. Shall we go to Gibeah and get the veil and cordon it off? David pauses for a moment, and he looked up and down the tent, and sees how Levites and commoners and his fellow tribesmen were dancing in the tent as the worship continued. David smiled. No, Asaph, there shall be no veil. My lord, Asaph cried out, this is not the way. Asaph, David interrupted him. We are making a new way. No one, as long as I am king, shall have anything separating them from God. 
And just like that, David opens up the sanctuary and his tent and the access to God's presence, which rests upon the Ark of the Covenant, to the entirety of all of Israel and anyone who wanted to come into the tent. David appears to have risked many other Uzzah encounters by allowing the Ark to be unprotected and unsealed off. But David was willing to risk the death by God than to prevent anyone in his kingdom from having access to God. See, David knew God and he met him in the wilderness of Judah. David's life was filled with the life and experience and power of God. His relationship with God had greater value than the traditions and ways established by Moses. Yet in fact, his actions didn't abolish the actions and law and command of Moses, but they fulfilled them in many ways. However brief a generation this would be, for in a tragedy unknown to so many was the moment when Solomon builds the great temple, he takes down the tabernacle from Gibeah, and David's tent appears to have fallen to non-use or was taken down, and the ark was placed in the temple behind the Holy of Holies with a veil separating it from man and God. What's even more amazing when someone in the Bible does something outrageous and is not out of obedience from a direct word, but just done in faith, David did this in faith. And his generation was a veilless generation. And what David ended up doing was making a type and shadow of the new covenant, which God confirms in the New Testament. When Jesus dies on the cross over 1,000 years later, an earthquake occurs, the sky turns black, the veil in the temple is torn in two, symbolizing the end of the religious barrier between man and God. Three days later, Jesus raises from the dead and preaches for many days and ascends to heaven. The disciples go to Jerusalem and wait for the promised gift, and fifty days after the ascension on Pentecost, tomorrow by the way, the sound of a furious wind comes upon Jerusalem, and what looks like tongues of fire rest upon the disciples, and they preach in foreign tongues, and three thousand people are saved. It was this infilling of the Holy Spirit which birthed the church, which can be counted in the millions or possibly billions today. David captured a glimpse of the future and brought it into his day, when he refused to place a veil in his tabernacle. Even the commoners could come in the presence of God. Everyone had access to the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant, and the resting place of God in his presence was available for all. It wasn't just for the chosen king or the gifted prophets or the high priest once a year. God's presence was available to everyone. David began as a nobody, and he encountered God as a nobody, and he would not prevent any nobodies in his kingdom from entering God's presence. And on this Pentecost, I encourage you to do as David did. Go to wherever you find God and approach as close as possible to Him and worship Him and love Him and thank Him for His goodness and grace and loving mercies towards us. May God's grace and love and the power of the Holy Spirit be upon all who listen to this podcast. And may you know that the God of the Bible and encounter the power of His Holy Spirit on this very Pentecost. May we have a relationship with God like David and may we have that same Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, living in us. So if we haven't covered enough territory in this episode, we cannot miss out on a message to all the kings out there. David's relationship with God was so superior to anyone around him that an overflow of his relationship impacted his entire nation. What began in a little boy continued 
and were matured him until he really knew his true father. You as a listener have the privilege of knowing God, ensuring that relationship with those around you, not necessarily by evangelizing to them, but simply removing the religious veil that separates them from God. It is your responsibility as a king to tear this veil or to simply not impose a separating veil between them and God and open up the Holy of Holies and presence of God upon all of those around you that desperately need His presence, glory, and access to His voice and relationship. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we get back into some biblical military history and giant killing. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, and leave a comment or question. Or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.